a couple of different things are going on when you write and somebody reads and that the job of a writer is to provide just enough words but not too many words but just enough words and exposition where the reader can then in turn fill in the rest with their imagination and in doing so everybody plays a different movie in their head from that same source of writing What up, what up, folks? What's going on? Welcome to the Spun Today podcast, the podcast that is anchored in writing, but unlimited in scope. I'm your host, Tony Ortiz, and I appreciate you listening. This is episode a buck 80 of the Spun Today podcast, and a buck for the uninitiated means 100. So it's episode 180 of the Spun Today podcast. And in this episode, I speak about a great PBS documentary that I saw on Ernest Hemingway. I speak about the less than great Mortal Kombat movie that recently came out, and I randomly rant on some local politics, the New York City mayoral race, Governor Cuomo, the state of COVID, etc., etc., etc. Please stick around to listen to all that good stuff, but before you do, please check out this very quick way that you can help support this podcast if you so choose. You know that feeling you get on a Monday? When the weekend already feels like a distant memory and the next one feels like it's weeks away, have no fear, my friends. The Spun Today newsletter is here. And it's here to make it so that your Mondays don't have to suck. Come on, guys. I can lead you to the water, but I can't make you drink it. You have to do that part on your own by going to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe. I put together a free weekly newsletter that I send out to all of my subscribers every Monday at noon. Here's what's in it. A photo of the week so that you can take your mind off the mundane and enjoy the scenic route. A podcast of the week because I listen to dozens of podcasts every single week from a wide range of shows. And I cherry pick the very best ones and recommend them to you here. The Sponsor Day newsletter also includes a video of the week which will include anything from a TED talk, to a rap battle, to a tasty recipe that I stumbled upon, or a dope interview. A quote of the week for some food for thought, and a word of the week for my fellow wordsmiths out there to step up your vocab. So you'll be getting five things absolutely for free every Monday at noon in your inbox. If you choose to subscribe, all you have to do is go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe, drop in your email address, and you'll get the very next one. Ken Burns put out a documentary, a three-part, six-hour documentary. Each of the parts is two hours long on PBS. Now, I just happened to stumble upon it on the first airing. It was kind of like serendipitous. On PBS, while I was scrolling the TV, it was like at eight or nine o'clock at night, and it had just started, and it, they were repeating it like throughout the night. So I missed like the first, I don't know, fifteen minutes, half hour. Then you know it repeated right away. So then I caught after I finished watching it, I caught that beginning fifteen minutes or half hour during the next showing. And PBS, to be honest, I never like 
check for it. You know what I mean? I, I just always thought of it as like the, you know, where as a kid, we used to watch like Sesame Street or like Mr. Rogers, I think. And um, what's his name? Bob Ross, the dude that used to paint with the Afro and like stuff like that, like public programming. But from some of the content that they were promoting, like during uh, in between showings, like they have a lot of dope content, apparently. And this Hemingway documentary, which I can speak to, was amazing. First and foremost, I learned so much about Hemingway that I never knew because I, I didn't know much about him. To be honest, I haven't read Hemingway aside from, which I know is blasphemous as a, as a writer, aside from like excerpts or passages here and there and like quotes of his that have become famous two two of which are like great quotes that i that i like one which comedian ari shafir has like taped to his laptop which states the first draft of everything is shit which is a dope reminder to get especially from someone at that level and helps you like get out of your own way and and do your work and another quote is and i'm going to paraphrase it that the best way to see any city is on a bicycle, which was also dope to hear because I'm into cycling. Speaking of which, these extra COVID pounds that I've put on could definitely use some cycling. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so I, I am not knowledgeable about Hemingway and his work. I know he's regarded as one of the greatest of all time. Um, but I also I also put him like in the Mark Twain category. Like I thought he was a writer from like the 1800s. I don't know why. Like that was like in my mind. And he's not. He died in 1961, which was the first thing I learned that kind of blew my mind. But here is the official synopsis that I'm going to read to you guys. Hemingway, a three-part, six-hour documentary film by Ken Burns and Lynn Novick, examines the visionary work and the turbulent life of Ernest Hemingway, one of the greatest and most influential writers America has ever produced. Interweaving his eventful biography, a life-lived at the ultimately treacherous nexus of art, fame, and celebrity. With carefully selected excerpts from his iconic short stories, novels, and nonfiction, the series reveals the brilliant, ambitious, charismatic, and complicated man behind the myth and the art he created. So like I said, I happened to catch it on PBS, on the first night and the first night they showed part one and they repeated it a couple times. And then the second night, same time they showed part two and the night after that part three. And I watched them all that way. And they were so good that I went back to watch and I wanted uh, my wife to see some of it, but they're not available on demand on PBS. I'm not sure like how that works, but you could like get it for like one ninety nine or two ninety nine or something like that through like Amazon prime or Amazon video. And I'll definitely link to what I can in the episode notes to make it easier for you guys to find. But just Google Hemingway documentary or Ken Burns Hemingway and I'm sure you'll find it. But anyway, I love how it was put together first and foremost. Not just the fact that he was a writer and the content of it and how brilliant his writing was that they did share during the documentary. But just how it was shot with um, a lot of film on of him and his family, which I'll get to in a second tons of uh, photographs from his childhood from his teenage years his 20s 30s throughout throughout his entire life basically uh there was voiceover throughout the whole thing which i love and what was exceptionally 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 done was how they shared ernest hemingway's writing that was 
voiced by Jeff Daniels each time. So you had a separate narrator narrating the documentary. And then whenever they would insert a piece of Ernest Hemingway's writing, it would be Jeff Daniels who read it as Hemingway, which was dope. I really like Jeff Daniels, not just from like the Dumb and Dumber days, but his more like serious roles like Newsroom and his stage performance of To Kill a Mockingbird was great. I was lucky enough to, to see that. And what I also thought was great is that they had contemporary writers, right, of, of today reflecting on th- different pieces of Hemingway's writing. Like, you know, they would chronicle Hemingway's life, also talk about, you know, different things that he wrote, you know, during those time periods and reference them with Jeff Daniels voicing it over. And then they would cut to a writer of today giving feedback on that same piece. And it was really interesting to see different writers from all different walks of life, Spanish writers, English writers from different countries, just opining on Hemingway's work and how they all had just like different perspectives on what things meant and how he wrote. And some, there was like a little piece where it was one of the writers like favorite Hemingway piece ever. And that same piece to another writer was their least favorite. And I, can appreciate that distinction because I think it's important for all of us to remember that there's always going to be people that love your stuff, people that hate your stuff, and a bunch of people in between. Like, I always speak about there being a spectrum, like, within everything, like, within, you know, people and how they do their jobs, it's a spectrum, people that do it well, people that do it poorly, etc. Like, there's a spectrum within that as well, within how folks receive your work. And I think I touched on this during the the last free writing session episode that i that i recorded episode 179 where one of the writers during this like reflecting on a hemingway piece states that i think he was sent out to italy or france i think italy and he saw a battle there because you know he was part of the red cross and they would go uh, try to help and aid the soldiers he actually went through a situation where a few feet away from him an enemy shell I'm not sure what the technical term is, but a fucking bomb blew up somebody that was like a few feet away from him and the shrap metal from it, like cut him up like badly, like on his head, on on his leg to the point that he had to be hospitalized for like a couple months before being able to get shit back home. And during this time period, he met a woman, a nurse that was American as well and had a relationship with her and she was kind of, she was like engaged to be married and he was like head over heels in love, you know, went back home, talked her up to, to the family and stuff like that. Still stayed in touch with her. And then she pretty much like wrote him a letter, broke it off and said that, you know, she's going to get married to who she plans to get married with. And that he's kind of like too young for her. She was like six, seven, eight years older than him at the time. But that's like the first glimpse you get to him being like this hopeless romantic. And he was married four times throughout his life. And it's almost like each time he had one wife would meet another woman sometimes the woman would like interact with his wife like it would be like a friend that would come over and he would wind up starting a relationship with them and he would pretty much he would start a new relationship before being like separated and divorced from from his current wife i mean he seemed to do that like each time he had three children if i'm not mistaken one of which that is still alive and and older now i think he's like in his 70s um, he was part of the documentary as well, and they asked him, you know, questions about his father growing up and stuff like that. And he he spoke about how like cool it was to, you know, he had there was like two modes to him. 
during before and again this goes back to having a process when it comes to writing Hemingway used to like wake up in the morning and write until like noontime or something like that and before that time like nobody could speak to him look at him like that was a sacred writing time uh the sun was reflecting on that and saying like it was it was cool but weird at the same time that it's like you couldn't talk to dad before 12 but after 12 he was all yours like more so than any other dad was with their you know his friends dads like with their children because he would like play games with them and elaborate games with them and just play with them all day every day after 12 he seemed to battle with with depression as well like a reference like a uh, times where he was like just dark times you know feeling like down and out and some of his writing like reflected that as well uh his father dealt with depression and actually committed suicide which obviously i didn't know before watching this documentary and he kind of resented his father for that until he got older and started dealing like with his own demons and then finally understood like what it was that drove his father to do that he was very much into like the i don't know if calling it party scene would be using the right terminology but definitely the way they depicted his lifestyle was like the gregarious always going out to dinner with friends and and for drinks and bars and hanging out type of guy and going back to the adventure seeking he was really into bullfighting he wrote about it a lot he wrote about it a lot and quick aside i didn't know bullfighting was what it was i thought it was just like taunting like the bowl and stuff with like the red cape the the matadors use and just like fucking with them but i didn't know they literally killed the bull each time like part of like that matador waving the red cape thing and making the bull charge at you is because when they do they like stab them on top of like right behind the head or the neck or whatever you call that region in the bull you know by the end of it he has like a bunch of these like swords i guess i don't know like the exact terminology for it but like these swords sticking out of him the bull until he eventually collapses but anyway he was into that he lived in spain for a long time he lived in france for a long time he lived in cuba had an estate in cuba i think for like 10 or 20 years he had like in between uh his his writing and like his successes with writing you know his short stories and novels and nonfiction. He had like correspondence jobs and would go like overseas, like when World War II broke out, for example, and he would like write about the war. He would go hunting a lot. He'd go fishing a lot. He was like very outdoorsy like that. And something else that I found really interesting is how like some of the women writers that they interviewed, again, to reflect on some of his writing, wrote about how well he wrote within a woman's voice. And something he did, which I don't know if it's related or not, but they definitely drew like parallels to is how he kind of like in his personal like sexual relationships like with his wives for example he would do like a lot of role playing and they had accounts of like him pretending to be the woman and them pretending to be the guy and how his wives would like cut their hair like really short to match his and that's like something that he wanted so he was like very interesting and like layered at like every turn F. Scott Fitzgerald, for example, the writer of The Great Gatsby, is the person that helped him get out of like some bullshit contract, writing contract that he was in, and convinced him just write something like really shitty so your publisher drops you, and then you can go sign with like my publisher. So I thought that was like an interesting story of like you know two amazing writers in in their day. And 
what was dope to see is that he, he used to shit on a lot of writers. Call it, you know, him being real, him being jealous, him being, you know, kind of like crabs in a bucket type of mentality, maybe even like even kind of uh, there was a piece of the story that stated that it was known that like J.D. Salinger told him, like gave him tips on one of his first books that like that popped and told him to like cut the first two chapters and started like at the third. He never gave J.D. Uh, uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald rather. He never gave him credit for that. And he said that that wasn't true, that that was always like his idea anyway. And I found it interesting that during one of his, you know, writing about war stints, there was a young soldier that, you know, knew he was nearby and, and like went to him and like took him some of his writing that, that he had been working on. And he, Ernest Hemingway gave him like positive feedback and positive results and told him that his writing was really good, et cetera, which was kind of contrary to how we saw him interacting with other writers up until that point. And that soldier was J.D. Salinger, who wrote The Catcher in the Rye. Which, fun fact, was one of my favorite books in, like, my early 20s, I want to say. And full disclosure, it was, like, one of the only books that I read cover to cover <laughs> around that time period. But I did, like, reread it, like, once or twice after that. And it's definitely a great read, which I've been meaning to revisit. But anyway, how dope is that? You know, like, I've spoken about how, like, encouraging it would be to, like, get feedback from, you know, somebody that you, like, admire or look up to. And stuff like that. And comics speak about this a lot. Like when they're coming up in comedy and how like a headliner tells them, oh, that was a good joke. That kind of like motivates them to like keep grinding and keep going for like another year or two. You know what I mean? And it's like, who knows if like Hemingway was sh shitty to him at that in that point, if we would have even had to catch in the ride today. You know what I mean? Just like words can encourage, words can discourage too. I myself have, you know, gotten encouragement just from what I know from the other side was probably just like a fleeting moment that they definitely never would remember again but like Ernest Klein writer of Ready Player One and Ready Player Two liked one of my tweets once and I, I was like on cloud nine um writer and podcaster Daniele Bolelli you know I emailed emailed him and asked for some writing advice which he gave me same with Graham Hancock and things like that kind of give you like some extra wind in your sails that even now, like looking back, helped me. You know what I mean? So I thought that was a pretty dope factoid that I got from the documentary. But yeah, I definitely recommend it. I know it's a very large undertaking. It's two hours each part. And there's three parts, so it's a total of six hours. But obviously, you don't have to see it all in one sitting. Break it up. But if you're into writing, definitely check it out. If you want to learn more about Hemingway, which was my case, definitely check it out. And if you just want to hear like a very interesting story, definitely check it out. Do you know, there was towards the end and, you know, he used to like drink a lot and stuff like that. That was actually an issue that he battled with uh, throughout his life. But he went through so much shit during one of his like hunting retreats. He got like some sort of parasite that he like almost died from. And he had to get like airlifted out from where where he was hunting. And when he was airlifted, I think either the helicopter or the plane crashed. <laughs> and he actually survived that as well and it's not it's just like chock full of interesting stories and you get some real insight into who Ernest Hemingway was and how really tight his writing was like he has like an economy of words to the fullest and by that I mean you know saying less 
or as little as possible, but still conveying as much as possible at the same time, which is definitely no small feat. Another unrelated thing that I remember about Hemingway, not from this documentary, but just in general, is, and I could be misremembering this because this is strictly from memory. I didn't like, fact check myself, but I want to say in the movie City of Angels, is that the right name of the movie? It's the movie with Nicolas Cage and Meg Ryan where he's like an angel and she's a doctor and they wind up like falling in love and he winds up giving up being an angel or something like that. But in one scene that I remember always like resonated with me was him asking her to describe how, because angels don't have the ability to like feel and touch and taste and stuff like that, apparently, and him asking her to describe how a pear tastes. And she describes it as, or actually maybe, maybe it's him trying to describe it to her. I forget. Or they're trying to like describe it to each other, but then the eventually land on or whatever that scene lands on one of them describing it as, you know, taking a bite into the piece of fruit that's like cold at first and then sweet. And it's like a sugary sand on your tongue. And that was like a Hemingway quote, something like that. I don't know. I just thought that was dope anyway. <laughs> and just thought I would share it. But yeah, definitely check it out. It's called Hemingway. It's a documentary by Ken Burns. Mortal Kombat. So this definitely isn't going to be as long a review. <laughs> but it's more of like an honorable mention, I guess. If you're looking for a movie with a great story, plot, and structure, this is definitely not the movie for you. If you are looking for a movie with dope fight scenes, mm, This you're probably better off watching something like John Wick. <laughs> but this one did have some pretty good ones as well. Definitely in the beginning, like the movie started off really dope. Like it started off like it's going to be like a great movie and then like fell off a cliff after that. Just from every angle, like I said, like plot and story and even the, the characters were, were pretty weak. There was one very strong character, the guy who played Kano, which, if I remember correctly, in the like the video games, he was a black dude, but here he was in the movie he was a an Australian guy. He was hilarious. He was like super funny throughout the throughout the movie, and the rest of it honestly was. And th- this part alone for me was like worth the watch just to watch it. Um, because I remember like the old like Mortal Kombat movies were pretty okay, like enjoyable, nothing nothing crazy, nothing horrible. But if you were a fan of the video game, as I was. When I was a kid, for specifically for Sega Genesis, A B A B A C C start something like that for the blood code, then for that nostalgic purpose, it was worth the watch, and it was definitely dope to see a movie like this with characters like that using modern day CGI and technology. So aesthetically, it definitely did look better than the first movie, but again, like the characters, like the casting for the characters was bad. There's no plot, no story, but it's a movie about a video game, which, to be honest, I don't even know the fucking story of Mortal Kombat, or if there even was one. It's just different folks with different types of powers fighting each other to the death and in a very gory way. And this movie definitely delivered on that aspect of it. And it's always fun to see, like, a video game movie brought to life. I'm not even, like, a big gamer or anything like that. I have a like a i think it's a playstation 2 i want to say like collecting dust i don't even know if it like works anymore (laughs) but like after sega genesis i like fell off from like gaming played with dreamcast a little bit 
um, Xbox a little bit after that, and just pretty much like fell off. So when I speak about Mortal Kombat, I speak about like the original Mortal Kombat. Like there was like eight characters. By the time they started coming out with like all these other, you know, like sixteen characters and turbos and this, that, and the other, I didn't keep up with all that shit. But yeah, that aspect of it was cool to see. So in short, if you were excited from the trailer that they put out, which was really good, to see this movie, you're probably going to be let down like I was. But it wasn't a complete like waste of time experience because you still get, again, that nostalgia box checked off, that video game come to life box checked off, and some cool fight scenes and some gory fight scenes, which is at the crux of the affinity for Mortal Kombat. And that's all I got for you on that, folks. Mortal Kombat. Check it out if you so choose. New York politics. From someone who's unqualified to speak about it. But I live here, so fuck it. <laughs> Andrew motherfucking Cuomo. What a fall from grace. Do you guys remember during COVID, before like shit hit the fan, while shit was hitting the fan, he was like... The country's rock. The country's, including my own, the person we would look to for some leadership. You know, while we were getting like mixed signals and COVID is fake, don't wear a mask, wear a mask, and just chaos coming out of the White House. Folks across the board, from both sides of the aisle, were looking to Andrew Cuomo, his daily press briefings, and he did great to the point that, you know, people were saying he should run for president you guys remember all that myself included by the way and at a time like that that you know you need that from leadership you need the calm collected concise consistent i just realized all those words start with a c but you need that type of voice from a leader let you know what's going on what we're doing about it how to do better how to move forward etc some comforting words some levity At a time of uncertainty, that's what a lot of us gravitated towards. Fast forward to now, and folks are calling him the Democratic Donald Trump. (laughs) So what the fuck happened in between? So during this time, he was also apparently grabbing chicks by the pussy. And allegedly by women that did not want him to. I think the count is up to like 9 or 11 like women that have come, come forth and said that at one point, or another during his administration, they he made like inappropriate sexual comments or advances uh, towards them, which we haven't seen any like hard evidence for that I'm aware of. It could be wrong. So right now it's at a you know state of he said she said, but if true, obviously he's a piece of shit and wrong for doing so. What also happened during this time period in this fall of grace time period is that. It was uncovered that he wildly understated the deaths from COVID and his administration misled and misreported purposely the deaths coming out of nursing homes by almost like 50%. It's like thousands of people that based on policy decisions that led to people infected, older folks infected with the virus being sent back to nursing homes and not being equipped to deal with them wound up essentially becoming super spreaders within that space, within those spaces. And then the doubling down on top of that, of misrepresenting those figures purposely and trying to cover it up 
and doing so by even to the extent of threatening other public officials, like for example, assembly assembly member or state senator, who according to him, I forget his first name, I think it's Matthew, Matthew Kim, something Kim, the governor called him and threatened him and said his career was going to be over if he didn't like back off like this disclosures and like reporting and like looking into these these figures. And that's just like egregious. That's like some bully, gross bullshit, right? And even so, even even though it was obviously horrible that a decision that his his administration made led to so many deaths, it was such an uncertain time, and we didn't have leadership from at the top, you know. And by the top, I mean like from the federal level. That if he would have come forth. Or just like been forthcoming with that information, one maybe we could have saved some lives and gotten additional help. But two, he did it seemingly for political reasons to not allow uh, Department of Justice like investigation into the matter because if it, if that's past a certain threshold or something like that, it would warrant that. Which means Trump and his administration can legally get involved in those like state affairs. But the point that I was getting at is that it would have even. St- it was such an uncertain time that it would have been understandable. Like nobody knew how to handle this shit, but instead he doubled down on doing what was wrong and what goes wrong comes back wrong. It's coming back to bite him in the ass now and rightfully so. And shout out by the way to Letitia James, which seems to be a politician with an actual moral compass. She was the public advocate is now the New York state New York City or New York State? I think New York State. Yeah, New York State Attorney General. And by actually having a, a moral compass, I mean like doing what's right regardless of like political affiliation and stuff like that because she was a Democrat. But more so because she was always backed by the Working Families Party. And the Working Families Party, if you live outside of New York, you might not be familiar, but it's a left leaning party that is more for local party that's more for working families, you know, workers' rights, unions, stuff like this. And, like, usually, like, a Democrat would also get an endorsement from the Working Families Party. And when they do, when you go to the ballot box to vote for them, you'll see the Democrat listed or, you know, the person listed as a Democrat, but also listed under the Working Families Party, the same person. And if you happen to vote on the Working Families Party, the vote still counts for that person, regardless if Democrat or Working Families Party, you're, it's kind of not just symbolic, but it's kind of a representing that you also believe in the values of the Working Families Party, which are not exactly aligned with the Democratic Party, even though there's a bunch of overlap. But anyway, she had the backing of this party. And when she ran for, I believe it was public advocate, uh, and Cuomo has always had beef with this party for some reason. Cuomo, and I could be fucking up the story. I don't think I am, though. But Como pretty much said, you'll get my endorsement to Letitia James. Or was it? Actually, it was when she went for public advocate. Not public advocate, for uh, attorney general. Como said, you'll like have my endorsement and my backing, but you got to give the boot to the Working Families Party. And Letitia James, even though she, you know, they supported her all, all this time, she did that. It was politically savvy or whatever for her to do so. Got Cuomo's endorsement, eventually won the seat of the attorney general, where she sits now. But she is the one spearheading this investigation into Cuomo and putting out all this very damaging information when honestly we would expect someone in that position to kind of like, 
you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. I'll look the other way on certain things. But this was, and her reporting has been very damaging for the Cuomo administration. So we'll see how this continues to play out. All the calls for Lecky's resignation seem to have died down. Uh, but I'm curious to see if they completely die out, if he winds up deciding to like run for re-election when the time comes. Now, switch, switching gears to even more locally, going from state to city level, let's speak a little bit about the primary election, citywide primary election happening on June 22nd, 2021. During this citywide election, you will be able to vote for mayor, Bill de Blasio is termed out here in New York City. So we are 100% going to have a new mayor, a public advocate, comptroller, borough presidents, city council. I would recommend and something that I'm definitely uh, becoming more diligent with is actually go on candidates' websites and read through their policies for what it's worth, at least the policies that they're putting out there. It's not to say that they are 100% going to be able to or actually even want to implement everything that they say, but it gives you the best, in my opinion, parameter for seeing where they're coming from and what their ideas are and where their head's at. That and if they have been in politics in the past, you know, looking up their like voting records and just historically what they're known for. I'll link to uh, like one or two candidates in the episode notes if you guys want to check out to their like policy pages, like Andrew Yanks, for example, which I've spoken about in the past in terms of police reform in the sense of more training and requiring like purple belts and jujitsu uh he was famous for during his uh the campaign trail in his uh, bid for president uh universal basic income ubi which he said he wanted to implement a version of in new york city and that has changed throughout his candidacy um to what seems to be like a, a more realistic approach but um, their intent is to begin with, instead of you know a thousand or two thousand dollars to every New Yorker every month, uh, it's a uh, two thousand dollars to five hundred thousand New Yorkers of the lowest earning, lowest income earning New Yorkers uh, per year, and then you know having that as a starting point and electing to scale that up or down as needed. Um, it's also not going to count as income, so it's just here's this money in your pocket on a yearly basis, which is obviously not the same as here's this money in your pocket on a monthly basis, but it's not nothing. Um, it also, again, doesn't count as income, so it doesn't interfere with folks that are receiving other services, like Medicaid-related services. Like, it's not going to change their income threshold and say, oh, now you don't qualify for this because you get that. It's just going to be a supplement on top of that, on top of whatever they're receiving already. Another one of his policies that, that speak out to me a bit is uh, creating a deputy mayor for specifically for uh, public and community safety with a direct line to the mayor and highlights how there's like multiple city agencies with oversight of the criminal justice system here in New York, such as the NYPD, the mayor's office of criminal justice, the New York City Commission of Human Rights, the Department of Probation, the Department of Correction, and a bunch of different other agencies under each of those like homeless services, Department of Education, et cetera. And none of which necessarily speak to each other and like do things in their own way. And that just from the outside looking in from a systems perspective is like a 
convoluted problem, right? That needs coordination and organization, which again is the goal of instilling this uh, deputy mayor, kind of like oversight over each and like streamlining those processes. And there's tons of other stuff like related to public health, to education, to the environment, transportation, et cetera. You know, pick your poison, whatever your issue is that you're like most into, check out the candidates that are running, check out their policy page or pages and read into what it is that they actually want to put forth. You know, don't just go by name recognition and popularity and, you know, try to dig into a bit more of the actual substance. Now, the last thing that I want to get into related to this election is that it's going to be the implementation for the first time of ranked choice voting. I don't know what the hell it was, what it meant. I kind of had an idea. You vote for multiple candidates, but I wasn't sure exactly how it worked. So I looked it up, found a good site with, you know, a breakdown of how it works, a video and some like Q&A feedback and some like infographics that were very helpful to explain it, which I will link to in the episode notes for you guys to check out. But basically, one of the elections in 2019, it was a ballot measure and us New Yorkers passed it with a 73.5% support, meaning that our vote back then is coming into effect now for the first time. And will be in place for citywide primary elections from here on out, starting on June 22nd. Now, the way it works is that you're going to have a ballot with all the candidates on it. And instead of voting for one, you get to rank up to five candidates in your order of preference. So if you want to vote for Andrew Yang, and by the way, you can opt out of this and just vote for one candidate and not even fuck with the whole like ranking system. So you have the option, which... Options a beautiful thing. But yeah, if you want to, there's a list of candidates and then up on top, it's going to be one, two, three, four, five. And there's going to be columns. So what's your first choice? And, you know, you fill in the bubble for that candidate under your first choice. Who's your second choice? If your first choice didn't win, who would you want to win? And then you can vote, you know, down the line, Ray McGuire or Eric Adams or Catherine Garcia, et cetera, and so on and so forth until you rank up to five candidates. Now, the way that the votes are going to be counted across the board is that if a candidate receives, any candidate receives more than 50% of first choice votes, then they win the election automatically and it's over and done with. If there's no candidates that win or that earn more than 50% of the first choice votes, then the counting continues to a second round. And each round the candidate with the fewest votes is eliminated. So if your top choice candidate, whoever you voted as you like your number one choice, if that happens to be the person that gets the least votes, it goes to a second round, that person gets eliminated. And then whoever you voted for your second place vote, now that vote gets counted. And in that second round, if that person or whoever in that second round gains more than 50% of the votes of folks, then that person wins and so on and so forth. If during that second round, still nobody has more than 50% of the votes, it goes to the third round and then the fourth round and then the fifth round, et cetera, until there's only two candidates left. And then at that point, whoever has the most votes between the two candidates that are left wins. So it's a, it's pretty interesting. And like I said, like you have the option to, if you just want to vote for one person, you know, feel free, go ahead. But it's definitely going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I'm sure there's going to be like hiccups and like reporting and stuff like that, especially it being like the first time uh, being rolled out. 
So just following that is going to be interesting in and of itself. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We'll see if it's uh, something that sticks. Anyway, folks, that's all I got for you. Thank you very much for listening to the Spun Today podcast. Please stay in touch. Go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe. Drop in your email address to subscribe to my free newsletter. I would really appreciate it. And I hope you enjoyed episode 180 of the Spun Today podcast. Please stick around. Listen to a few more ways you can help support this show if you so choose. Peace. Hey, folks. Tony here. If you're enjoying the show, do me a favor. Rate and review it on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to help out the show in other ways, I'll give you a one-stop shop of sorts to do so. Go to spuntoday.com forward slash support. That's where you'll find a ton of different ways to help support this show, such as shopping on Amazon. If you do any shopping on Amazon, like most of the world, I ask that you do so by clicking on any of the Amazon banners on my website. This will take you to Amazon where you can do your shopping like you normally do. It will not cost you anything extra, but I will get credit for driving traffic to their website. Speaking of Amazon, they fulfill a bunch of the merch that I have available. If you go to spuntoday.com forward slash support, you're gonna find a brand new merch section where you'll find the iconic Podcasts vs. Anybody, super soft, premium cotton t-shirt. You'll also find the legendary Spun Today Podcast tee, which is in the style of the New York City plastic thank you bags logo. For my fellow Dominicans out there, I have a dope Dominican Escudo t-shirt. You know where the Lacoste or Polo shirts have their little logo? Picture that, but instead, a Dominican Escudo. All available now in a variety of different colors for men and women in all sizes. In the Spun Today merch section, which again is at spuntoday.com forward slash support, you'll also find a bunch of other t-shirt designs, long sleeve t-shirts, short sleeve t-shirts, color changing coffee mugs, and much, much more. Check out all the merch at spuntoday.com forward slash support. All of my short stories can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash short stories. The free writing pieces that I read, share, and review during the free writing session episodes of this show can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash free writing. There you can read all the pieces that made the podcast as well as tons and tons of others. My books are available in any digital format of your choice, whether it's Kindle, Apple's iBooks, Kobo, you name it. They're also available in paperback. You can check them out at spuntoday.com forward slash books. My debut novel, Fractal, is a sci-fi time travel story of a group of righteous travelers that attempt to right the wrongs of the injustices of the past. My nonfiction, Make Way For You, is a collection of tips for getting out of your own way. So if you need some motivation, inspiration, and a good old-fashioned kick in the ass, that'll be the read for you. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash books or search for those titles on Amazon. Another great and free way that you can help support this show is by subscribing to my newsletter by going to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe. You'll get a photo, podcast, video, quote, and word of the week every single Monday at noon. What else do you have to look forward to on a Monday? Plus, 
you'll be the first to know whenever I publish a new book. And if for whatever reason you choose to, you can unsubscribe at any time. Go to sponsoraycom forward slash subscribe, drop in your email address, and you'll get the very next one. At spuntoday.com forward slash support, you'll also find links to my Patreon, Ko-fi, and PayPal donation pages. Patreon and Ko-fi allow you to make recurring donations per episode, and you even get some bonus content for doing so. PayPal allows you to make a one-time donation to the show. For my fellow writers and creatives out there, a really cool way for you to be featured on this show is to respond to my five-question Spuntoday questionnaire. I'll read your responses on a future episode of the show and share them with the Spuntoday community. Think about it. If your responses could potentially spark inspiration in someone else, why not share that? To do so, go to spuntoday.com forward slash questionnaire. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Spuntoday on both those platforms. Check out and like the Spuntoday Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Spuntoday. I'd really appreciate it if you subscribe to the Spun Today YouTube page. Just search for Spun Today on YouTube or click on any of the YouTube icons on my website. There you'll not only get the full versions of this podcast, but you'll also get bonus content like shortened episode clips and much, much more. And as always, folks, substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. Thanks for listening. I love you, Aiden. I love you, Daddy.